Content warning. This episode contains weird acts of violence and gross bodily so-called humor that I decided not to censor from the original tale, as they are requisites for the telling. Listener discretion is advised. Time passed. Not between my missives. You get those regularly enough. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we are rapidly approaching what I think is the most important moment in your tale. There are many versions of what is coming. The scholars of Earth, the humans, have recorded a fine one, but even they have dozens of variations. I think for their part, they want to highlight the conflict you had with your brothers, not to highlight anything wrong with you, and quite the contrary. The problem was, in fact, with your brothers. There is a darkness we do not often speak of in our humans' culture. As they insisted, it's just the way things are, the natural order of things, the superiority of men, they insist, the dominance of men, the need for women to endure men. I am a fox. I serve Inari, who is man and woman. But to most, Inari is merely a woman, an important woman, chief of the agricultural kami and chief of the earth kami. A chief, at least. For you see, the inconsistencies of humanity are such that they cannot even define who is in charge. That is fine. Let humans grasp its draws. Each tale is true if it holds truth in it, and once told true, is eternal. Even if forgotten by the minds of humanity or the eternal memory of gods, a tale told true is enough. For my part, I find it all amusing. Great Amaterasu, for despite looking down on women, the men of the rising sun still claim legitimacy for being descended from you. Not ignoble Sukuyomi, nor crass Susanoo, and that is in spite of your younger brother's popularity. A tale for another time, I think. This tale must be told, and I will tell it true. Perhaps you will learn something, despite being in it. For not even you, illuminating Amaterasu, can see all things. And not seeing all things is perhaps where your downfall begins. Welcome to Goddessy, Season 3, Episode 4. A Game of Thrones. Did you know, Great Amaterasu, about their love affair before their death? There have been suggestions throughout history that the love of men together is wrong. How could it be? How could any love be wrong? This is a newer concept in our culture brought in by foreigners with their foreign gods, not just the followers of Christ, but also the Buddhists as well. Not all of them, mind you. But in our culture, we are naturalistic. And there are spaces where, whether by chance or by patriarchal order that has crept into our land like a slow pestilence, male spaces are places where male bonds can develop into love. Physical love, emotional love, there are many types of love, just as there are many types of people. The soul, some omyoji say, can be divided into four parts. Why is love any less diverse? Despite the tale surrounding the two, I think you always knew, Amaterasu, that Shino no Hafuri was the lover of Amano Hafuri. Both served at your leisure, both being bureaucrats and servants of your heavenly court. They worked in close contact with you and your handmaiden, such as Ame no Uzume, whom everyone knows you are close with even before this tale began. So, did you know that Shino no Hafuri loved Amano Hafuri? Did you encourage it in private? No one would make the accusation, I think, especially in the mortal world. But I will. I think you knew, because of what comes next. When Shino no Hafuri died, of causes I myself am not clear on, the entire court went into deep mourning, some more than others. Ama no Hafuri died, some say of grief, some say by his own hand. I do not see a difference myself, but I am a mere fox. So they buried them in the same grave near your palace, 
Humans later add an addendum to this tale, and it is one I want to highlight. They say you would not allow it, for their love shamed the entirety of the palace. Why, I ask. Humans say it is because it was secret. Others suggest Shinono Hafari was married to a wife and thus betrayed her, one of your handmaidens. Others say it is because male love is repugnant to the childbearing natural love of man and woman. Yet the union between man and woman, or even woman and woman, which they fail to criticize with the same fervor, does that love always produce children? Are there not entire classes of men and women in Kyoto, in Tokyo, who they themselves, mind and body, offer themselves to pleasure others? Does pleasure always beget children? They say you force them to be buried elsewhere, on earth perhaps. Yet I know where they are buried, here at the palace. I know editorializing when I see it. I am, after all, editorializing your tale. I bring up this painful memory because it sets the backdrop of our true tale. You were in mourning when he came to your inner court. I doubt he was announced. Susanoo no Mikoto never announces himself like a raging summer storm from nowhere. He came to you, not drunk, but not sober, and scratching that unruly beard as he always does. Sister, he called out to you on the throne before he could be announced. Heaven cannot contain me. I wish to go to the world below to complete our brother's noble mission. The court was not even gathered to gasp, so allow me to add a gasp of my own. <gasps> Who was Susanoo to assume that he was up for such a task? Brother, have reason, you said standing. The court heard the activity and began to gather, with word going out. Susanoo was leaving and it seemed like he was going to fight with his sister. You have not the finesse to pull off diplomatic work and you are needed here, to protect us from the monsters of the universe that threaten our divine providence. None can stand before the storm god. A compliment that was true in some, but not in whole. Susanoo nodded. Even so, we must befriend the Earth Kami, elder sister. And you cannot go, or will not. I can't quite tell. It matters not. I am expendable. I can seek evil in the world, and I can kill it where I find it. It was not a bad suggestion, truth be told. You were on thin ice with the Earth Kami after your brother Sukuyomi slew Ukemochi, many Earth Kami serve Inari who had picked up Ukemochi's work to say nothing of destroying my master's wife. Destroying the evil that threatened the Earth would also be a good idea. But something in you doubted. I can't blame you. Something in me still doubts to this day. I would prefer you stay here and keep your place, unless you have another reason. Susanoo's eyes narrowed in that way that they do, like a lightning flash. You doubt my sincerity, don't you, sister? You replied, stepping down from your elevated position beside the throne. You always preferred Tsukuyomi to me, though he was abusive in word towards you. Admit it, you would rather see him on the throne. To this, he smiled. You are slow to act and slow to acknowledge there are problems, but I'd rather have a slow and cautious sun move across the sky than a pompous ass. Don't doubt me, sister. Trust me. I think something in you snapped there. I do doubt you, though. Perhaps you've taken a lover. Perhaps you're bored. Or perhaps you are a traitor. Whatever the case, I do not think you are going to be a diplomat now or ever. Susanoo stepped forward, at no point bowing to you. Then let us play a game. If I lose, I am insincere. If I win, I am utterly sincere and you will acknowledge it. It is strange to me that this is how spirits prove things to one another, with games, with contests. 
Foxes do it often below in games with each other, or even with humans. Kami, Bakemono, all spirits seem to do this. I think it is compulsion to exist in a world of absolutes. In a game with an absolute winner and loser, it is easy to let things hinge on that. But this was not one of those games. I think perhaps because you did not set the terms. Whoever produces the most gods, the best gods, will be the winner. Take something of mine and I of yours. We chew it and we make gods. What do you say, sister? You smiled. Give me your sword, Susanoo, your tin-span sword. Susanoo regretted his words already, whispering a curse under his breath. Then he presented you with the sword your father had given him, and you took it. You broke it into three pieces and put each piece in your mouth. You chewed three times each and then spat each one out. Each time a goddess appeared, in your likeness but not quite as bright. Behold, brother, Takari Bime, Ichikishima Hime, and Tagitsu Hime, three goddesses I gift you as daughters. As a fox, this is not how we play games on earth. You heavenly kami have, as the mortals say, no chill. Susanoo growled an affirmative, smiling. Your hair jewel, sister, the one with five beads. He held out his hairy hands, massive like a bear's. You let down your hair and gave him the makatama, which was made of five white pearls. He took each pearl into his mouth and chewed them, crunching them with five bites. Susanoo spat each one out, and a god appeared. I gift you five sons, sister. Ame no Oshiomimi, Ame no Hoshi, Amatsuhikone, Ikutsushikione, and Kumano no Kusubi. I have produced five gods, each in your likeness. I have one. I do not think the court had ever heard you laugh like this, a cruel and wicked laugh, I would say. One? You have produced more gods, brother, but I have produced them of a higher quality. You produced five gods that look like me, but do not act like me. I have produced three that are almost perfect representations of me, with slight variations. This shows my skill. Susanoo smiled, shaking his head. No, sister. The rules of the game were to produce gods, not goddesses. I have won. You see now why I bring up the misogyny of Earth. This is the same kind, and one that is there even in their telling. Your perfect brow had never been furrowed, not like this. I produced better gods. Susanoo's grin grew hungry, like a wolf's grin. You produced no gods. Nothing in the original language suggested that gods were a prerequisite. The language was not vague, it was downright genderless. The produced gods from the contest looked to one another, trying, in their confusion, to look for an answer to give some sort of diplomacy between their parents. You looked to the boys and smiled, bowing. I accept you graciously into my household. You are as my sons now. There was something in your voice, a change in your tenor. You will be my heirs, I think, and my agents in my time of need. I... Susanoo bellowed, practically giddy. You must acknowledge that I won. Everyone here saw that I produced more, that I produced actual gods, and that you did not. I won. He looked at the three daughters, almost as an afterthought. Oh, and uh, you three are now my honored daughters. I will love you and protect you and treat you as such. You sighed, rolling your eyes. If it will make you feel better, Susanoo interrupted, throwing his arms in the air and turning to the crowded court, not in their proper places. She acknowledged my victory! 
No one clapped or cheered. Some smiled out of amusement. The celebration turned into a dance, and Susanoo danced right out of the room. Thunder rolled above. If it had ended there, that would have been fine. You did not truly admit defeat, and Susanoo's ego would have been stoked. But despite his request to take on diplomatic missions to the Earth Kami, Susanoo did not leave heaven. He celebrated all across the plain of heaven, filling it with storms as he celebrated his victory over the esteemed Empress of the Universe. At first people found this funny, but as hours turned to days and the storms did not recede, lightning began to strike at various ministers' homes. Some burned down. Some began to actively fight the storms, including our great illuminator, you yourself, Amaterasu. But the sun can only do so much before a storm, and the storm was a heavy one. Try as you might, you also had to govern and make rules. Susanoo's behavior got worse as he tried to make other people acknowledge his victory. They did not, as much as of loyalty to you as having seen the contest themselves. This seemed to enrage him, and Susanoo's dance became downright destructive. He began kicking buildings in half. He threw things, and social etiquette turned into an afterthought. He began using the bathroom in your glorious palace, a fact I discovered when I stepped in what I assumed was soil from the garden that he had also destroyed while I was in the next room doing calligraphy. Be thankful you did not step in it. At this point, you began to intervene, begging your brother. While he ignored you in this raging victory, you declared that he could not be in your presence, and your guards began to direct him in his dancing victory. You went into rest, telling others to take actions necessary to protect their homes and protect themselves. People were even permitted to acknowledge Susanoo's victory if they thought it would help. It did not. All in all, no one was seriously injured by these actions. Not yet, anyway. You had gone to your loom, hoping to remake some of the curtains that Susanoo had peed upon, and then ripped apart before throwing them upon your throne. With your now nieces, your new handmaidens, trying to bond with them and take over from their negligent father. You were teaching them how to sew, and they were naturals at it. How could they not be, born of your mouth and from Susanoo's sword? The textiles you produced are flowy, bright things. Anyone would want to imitate them. The storm raged outside, and you could not hear past it, I suspect. If you did, you might have left. Something crashed into the roof, sending shards of wood everywhere, but the pillars from the roof and the thing that came down through fell on one of your handmaidens. When the smoke cleared, moved by the rain, you saw immediately that she was dead, crushed, her neck snapped. Indeed, the thing that had come through the ceiling? It was a dead cow, its skin flayed off and gushing, its tongue hanging from its mouth. Blood was everywhere. You had never experienced rage like this before, but then, no one had ever been killed in heaven, either. Death is the enemy, the antithesis. It produces impurities, and purity is the manifestation of the heavens, the, of the universe, per the laws of creation. Into the storm you went, and your voice echoed, louder than the storm. Indeed, you glowed, breaking the clouds themselves. Susanoo seemed not to notice, up to the point you walked to him, and using your power as the sun held him in place before you, floating. Fury ripped through you like a knife tearing a rice paper door. You have dishonored all of heaven, all of creation, brother. Do you feel better? Has your victory produced the honor and respect you thought it would? Look upon what you have done. You have destroyed houses, and you have destroyed the works of heaven, and now you have killed my handmaiden. You have brought death into heaven against our honored father's will. 
Susanoo locked in place, stopped struggling at that. He realized what he had done. I didn't... I just... I won. That matters little now. Susanoo no Mikoto, honored son of Izanagi, I cast you out from heaven, from the plain to live upon the earth below. No more will your storms reach us here. No more will your actions destroy here until you learn respect. Until you have paid the price for this... This... Look at her! Look at my handmaidens. Look at your daughters that you have abandoned. Why am I always picking up after your messes? Why am I always cleaning up after my so-called honored brothers? I am expected to rule, yet the greatest barrier to effective rule? It's you two. All this pressure, and you have ignored what father told you, that you were needed to help me. I have no help. I am alone. I... 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 You realize others were watching. Your chief handmaiden, Ameno Uzume, the Shining Dawn herself, was covered in blood, her eyes full of tears. Everyone knew that you loved her above all others in heaven, and your eyes too filled with tears, flipping between her and the dead handmaiden. No one can say with certainty what you said in that moment, as the first tear fell, but I think I know. I can't do this. Forgive me. Whatever you said, you held out your hand and threw your brother screaming beyond the end, flinging him into the earth. What no one expected was you to begin running after him, as fast as you could, until you reached the edge and threw yourself from heaven, onto the earth below. The sun, they say, fell from the sky in that moment. And it was there that the real horror began. This is the first part of the primary myth of Amaterasu, which we'll conclude next episode. Dishonored by her brother, she flings herself from heaven and falls to the earth. You can guess how this goes. I wanted to address the misogyny and homophobia that some have noticed in Japanese myth, for indeed, Japan is one of the most misogynistic nations on earth today. It was not nearly so bad in the pre-modern era, where women basically ran the household through decades and sometimes centuries of warfare, and managed it quite well. Amaterasu has always been the ancestor of the imperial family, yet despite that, women have been marginalized. What empresses have existed in the Japanese imperial line are pushed to the side, so what gives? Japan becomes more misogynistic as outside influence creeps in, first with Buddhism and second with Christianity and Western secular influence. One of the primary issues that has led to modern gender gaps in Japan is that women lost the right to inherit in the late 19th century, in imitation of European and American inheritance laws. Good job, guys. The homophobia in the tale of Amaterasu's two ministers is a historic addition to the tale, where they are buried together as if married. Back when Japan still buried people, that is. Later changes say ruin came to heaven or the area where they were buried on earth, and that Amaterasu demand they be separated in order to end that ruin. Whether a Buddhist or Confucian influence, no one can be sure, but I have excised it accordingly but acknowledge it nonetheless. I do this because same-sex relations were not uncommon in historic Japan, and we're not done there. Prepare for more editorialization on that topic next episode. On a final note, this is the first time the podcast has acknowledged Magatama and swords as objects of power. Their choice is no accident. As we can see in future episodes, their inclusion will become key to the Imperial family's legitimacy. But that's a tale for another time. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by me, Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, Honored Among the Heavens. Music by Scott Buckley, whose Creative Commons work can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. 
Godyssey is more than a podcast. Oh, yes. Check us out on social media at The Godyssey Podcast to find fun daily factoids, interesting details, and occasionally memes worth their weight in jade. Reach out, say hi, and mind your manners. If you want to support the show, subscribe to your podcast service of choice and leave a review so others can find their way to the plains of heaven. If you want early access to episodes and the occasional fun blog post, check out our Patreon and support the show there. If you want something less long-term, you can check out our copy. Those links can be found in the description below. Goddessy Updates every Mythology Monday. See you then.